Welcome back to the Grad Live podcast, everyone. Kate here, and I have with me in the studio today, Ben Butler. Ben is the head of talent at Irish venture-backed startup Evervault. And before this role, he worked at Stripe, where, he's, where he was one of the first employees in the Dublin office and swiftly moved up the ranks to program manager in Dublin and then in Seattle, where he helped to build out their office there. We certainly have a lot to discuss between Evervault, Stripe, his time on sabbatical, and I'm also very keen to chat about his views on the recruitment space in general and, you know, finding a job that really is suited to you. So, Ben, welcome. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's such a podcast trope, but yeah. like, I can't say, like, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, you should have said, how are you? How are you today? You've just come from work. Uh, yeah, I'm good. It's it's very exciting to be in a, a real room with real people. Uh, my previous podcasting experience over the past few months has been in my like underground basement bunker with a friend <laughs> 5,000 miles away, so this is a lot nicer. <laughs> nice, nice. Let's kick things off with the present day. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's dive into Evervault. So, you know, Evervault, fast-growing, venture-backed Irish startup, young founder, really interesting backstory. So, Talk to us a bit about the company. You're obviously going to explain it better than me um, and, you know, dive into what your role there is. Yeah, so like Evervault is uh, what we call like encryption infrastructure for developers. And what that sort of means is um, if you look at something like Stripe, which is enabled payments in a few lines of code, there's Twilio, which is enables like SMS through a few lines of code. Um, encryption has typically not been the case. Um, and I'm not a developer, but from like spending a lot of time with the developer team, Cryptography is something that's super important, but super complex, and people like tend to not think about it until it's sort of too late. And as we see, like even you know, for you and I, with things like the Facebook hack, with HSE, and these things, like uh, cyber security is becoming like more and more important. And encryption, we think, is um, you know the strongest part of a toolkit to attack that. So Evervault is trying to do, I guess, like make encryption like easy for developers to implement so that developers can focus on, you know, building their apps and products, but do it in a way that's um, secure and protects people's data. Okay, cool, cool. That'll definitely maybe require a rerun for people to, to get their head around for it. For sure. Like I've been there three or four months and I, I still don't totally get it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, my career thesis has been joining very technical companies that I don't yeah. totally understand, but I just like trust that people like who are running it do. Um, but yeah, like, uh, if people take a look at our website, evervault.com is probably like the best way to explain. Or if anyone's particularly interested, I can follow up with them and mm. give them the rundown. I'm still learning the, the pitch, to be honest. Cool, cool. So aside from seeking out really complex uh, technology companies when you're looking to, to join somewhere, I'm really interested to kind of get your thought process around joining Evervault. You know, you'd obviously had come out of a job in Stripe, huge experience, huge exposure. Um what was it about Evervault that really drew you to the company? You must have had a lot of options in front of you. Um, yeah, like, honestly, I was still sort of in a transitional sort of period. So I had left Stripe and worked in the US and came home for a few months and was like on sort of sabbatical, doing a little bit of consulting to keep things taking over. Um, and yeah, Shane, the founder, actually reached out to me over uh, Twitter and uh, we, we started chatting. I had sort of known of him as sort of like local boy, done good. Um and I think what really stood out was like Shane, first of all, like he's an incredible founder and um, still like pretty early in his in his career. Um, and then secondly, just the scale and scope of what they're doing, I think seemed larger than what you typically see in Ireland. Um, and then third, just looking at, you know, the 
the sort of space and the opportunity and it was quite exciting but for me personally it was the idea that um i could build and scale a team in dublin that was building product in dublin like it's pretty rare that you have a venture back company of the scale that we're at already backed by like some of the top vcs and not the top vcs in the world that happen to be building product in dublin like a lot of companies We'll set up offices in the West Coast and have a satellite office here. And more products are starting being, to be built in Dublin, which is great. Uh, but I think centrally building products in Dublin is exciting. And then at a second level, um, there's a lot of startups that I think like don't necessarily need to exist. Um, a lot of startups are sort of in and own, their own sort of ecosystem. And like, sure, would I love the idea of like Uber for dogs, where a dog would just arrive in my like apartment? Yeah, like that would be amazing. Um, but there are a lot of things like at that sort of thing where like, oh, like does the world actually need this? Uber for dogs actually does sound great. I might go build that. But um, <laughs> the Everworld, I think, is actually solving a mission. And the idea that like the internet is still pretty new, but fundamentally kind of broken. And if you look back to the sort of early incarnations of like the web and the internet and what it should have been versus what it's gotten, it's pretty terrifying where things are now. Um, you know, like my personal information is available online because of the Facebook hack, so I get all these robocalls all the time. Like that's just going to continue. Privacy and GDPR like just sort of like aren't things anymore. Um, and this idea of like you know making a better developer experience, but at a, like global level, doing something that I think is actually good for the world um, makes me sound a little bit like I'm in a, a beauty pageant. But like <laughs> I, I do think that it's important and. If I'm going to spend my time building something, I want it to actually matter beyond um, yeah, the people in the room. Yeah, really, really interesting, great answer. And I suppose it, it, you know, feeds off that answer as well. You know, when you're looking at these startups and, you know, the key to loads of startups is, of course, having the amazing technology. But so much of it is about the people that you have to actually sell that vision, you know, mm -hmm. to actually bring it to the next level. So. You know, a brilliant for Shane that he was able to get his hands on you and, and bring you into the team. But, you know, you're obviously taking on that role, such an important role in the startup of attracting and retaining the right people. Mm -hmm. um, so interested to kind of dive into that and understand what it is that you're actually looking for when you're trying to build out this stellar team to execute on that vision that you've just described. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I've never officially been a recruiter before. Like, I've done a lot of building teams in Stripe and even in, in college and things. But, um, yeah, I'd never officially done it. So it was a little scary, to be honest, in terms of taking it, taking it on. Um, but I, like, care, like, a weirdly high level about building organizations. And, like, uh, in the doldrums of my time off, I was considering doing a PhD in organizational psychology. Like, I very much enjoy this stuff. Um so getting to do that in a practical level was like quite exciting. Um, and then when I sort of broke it down, I was like, I've, very, I've always enjoyed connecting people with opportunities. Like, why not do that sort of professionally? Um, but I think in terms of what we're looking for, uh, specifically to Evervault, it's like it's a very like deep tech technology as demonstrated by my uh, somewhat lack of understanding still. Um, so like one of the main things we look for is like, Computer science is thankfully becoming more popular in terms of people choosing it in college and things, but someone who like really cares about computer science and spends their evenings and weekends like working on their own projects is something that is like particularly interesting to us. More generally outside that, even though we are primarily hiring engineers, uh, there's a couple of things that are like really important for joining, I think, Evervault or any sort of company at that size. Um, the first is sort of a driver curiosity. Um, a lot of things like aren't figured out yet. Most things aren't figured out yet. They have a pretty good idea off the sort of north star of where we want to go to which i think makes us a little different to most sort of startups where it's just sort of like everything is on fire like of course we have our sort of fires and things but like at a sort of five ten year level we have an idea of where we're going 
but yeah, I think it's sort of a driver curiosity about like why why we're doing this, why it's important about technologies generally, how can we like make everything we do better. That academic bent sort of goes throughout the company as well and that we're doing a lot of things from first principles. So how, how can we set up an organization now that, you know, in a few years time will like be successful? I think the second is this idea of like acting like an owner. Um, so when you join a, a startup, uh, you know, one of the benefits you get is stock options or some element of equity, so actual ownership over the company. Uh, acting like an owner in terms of, you know, you're being some of the first hires, you're building out, um, you know, an organization, a group, a culture. Um, but also, yeah, you're sort of taking an ownership stake and people who will come in and do their job, but also like look kind of beyond that, not just have the blinkers of, well, this is my particular task and kind of doing things beyond that. I think that's everything from, you know, uh, you know, helping stock the kitchen to, you know, like finding things in a different area that, you know, we, we haven't exposed. Everyone's very involved in hiring or, you know, helping edit blogs and stuff. Just doing things beyond the kind of pure job description is is important. Um, yeah, I think there's an element of like like ethics as well of like, you know, is this person like a good person who you can trust? And like, you know, that could be people admitting that they don't know things. We spend so much of our life pretending we know what's going on that is quite powerful someone's just like i actually don't understand that like can you tell me i actually do that an awful lot because you know our company is like 85 percent engineers so like i spend a lot of my time to be like oh, i don't know um and then i think you know there's this element of like uh bar razor or sort of like culture ad people talk a lot about culture fit i think that's the wrong lens for it like someone who will actually add to the culture and make it um, better i think something and someone who will come in and make the company better than it is today i think it is kind of exciting so we, we kind of officially and unofficially grade along those kind of uh, gradients, but I think they're generally good principles that if you're building yeah. a team or an organization to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a really interesting point around culture ad. And it's one of the things that I'm really curious on in terms of your take on it. You know, a startup, as you, you described, you know, it, it can be scrappy, it can be putting out fires or it can be, you know, trying to get to that stage of having a, a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. But interested in what approach you take to kind of create that culture and how difficult you think it is to create a, you know, a strong culture, but also have that structure that doesn't stamp out creativity. And, you know, actually such, it must be such a fine balancing act between those different things. Yeah. Um, it, it was sort of a joke for me in college where there was this one paper I read by this guy, Edgar Schein, who's an organizational psychologist. He talks about culture and he uses the metaphor of an iceberg. I know you did a long business and so maybe you did this, but, um, uh, it's a module in third year called organization theory and design that was on the reading list a few years ago. But the idea is basically that culture is sort of a, an iceberg and there's three levels to it. The first, which you see above the surface is sort of like artifacts. And that's people generally point to a sort of culture. Um, so for example, like when Google set up, it was very much like primary colors and like pool tables and that sort of thing. Um, and what tends to happen is a lot of companies sort of like stop there. Um, you saw that you see this with Irish banks, like in the past 10 years, they started just putting in like fun multicolored like seats in their offices and stuff Eat and i was like around the yeah place. i was like, like cool um below that are sort of um like sort of stated values so there are things you see up on the walls of like here are operating principles or here is what we kind of like care about um and that's helpful but it's also it tends to be an exercise that you to do once or do every sort of 10 years and it's how you actually like live out those values that's important and that's the bit that's sort of at the bottom of of the iceberg or below the surface in terms of like um, sorry, the previous one is known as like espoused beliefs. So that's people that like we say we believe in. And then there's the things that are actually like, you know, enacted. And that's the most important thing. Um, the way we consider it at the moment is like, sure, there are some things that we have taken time to write down and we like believe this is important. 
but it's also still very early. Like the company was um, like five people when I joined three months ago. Uh, we've grown quite quickly, so we'll soon be like 12 or 13. There's like one or two offers out at the moment. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of growth in uh, a quarter and probably won't continue that like, um, you know, uh, doubling in size mm -hmm. every quarter, but continuing to add a, a similar number of people. Um, so we're still, we're, we're not being, I think you can be specific and that's okay. But what I prefer is, you know, focusing on the sort of principles we think are important, but the practices and manifestations of those will, will change over time. Mm -hmm. Um, and we also like don't have all the answers as well. Um, like we have a general idea of what we're going so far, you know, but we're very happy to sort of change direction as things come in. But in, in terms of, um, how that applies to a, a people there, um, you know, you want someone who has a similarity on the sort of important things in terms of, you know, cares about what we're doing, is eager to build it, like will come in and do more. But sort of everything else is, it gets into a little bit of like unconscious bias and things which you try to avoid. Um, but yeah, like that delineation between like what's super important and what will always be the case and what will change over the time or what will we be wrong about. I think like being okay with sometimes throwing the baby out of the bathwater or sometimes keeping the bathwater and sometimes keeping the baby um, <laughs> uh, in that weird analogy. But like, I think, yeah, there's people over excited, I think on everything has to stay the same or everything has to explode. And like everything, there's like nuances in that. Mm, yeah, th that's a, a great answer. And I suppose it's particularly, you know, important at the moment, I think, or particularly difficult probably at the moment with remote recruiting. And mm -hmm. you mentioned, you know, having offers out and, and growing during this, this COVID time. So interested to hear, you know, how you've tried to get that across in, in a remote setting uh, and, you know, what, what kind of method you can even use. Uh, yeah, I've gotten pretty, I've had to get pretty good at Zoom small talk, which is like even worse than regular small talk. Um, but yeah, I think um, Everwalter may be uh, going in a, not a different direction, but not in the same direction as a bunch of companies and that we believe for the moment that um, like we're building sort of an office centric company and for like, we think that the office is sort of a center of gravity and having like IRL 3D interactions, um, you know, is, is very important in those early stages that will develop over time. Um, and, you know, when we start to have multiple offices, can support in a sort of a more hybrid or remote working kind of thing. A particular uh, pain point for me is that I don't like that companies have taken the word hybrid and made hybrid what it is. I think our solution is actually the real hybrid one where I can work from home whenever I like in a world where we return to the office, I can work from home whenever I want to so need to ask anybody and that's fine. But the sort of expectation is that like, you know, part of your role is being in the office and helping build sort of other stuff out. Um, I've seen a couple of companies go in this direction where like hybrid means you can only come into the office like on certain days uh, or you have to commit uh you know like decide once a year how often you want to come into the office or if you're allowed to come into the office and like all this kind of weird stuff and like opposite of flexible yeah and really they're all being presented these hybrid flexible options um and like maybe that is the best i don't know um right now we're sort of uh, you know taking this sort of office-centric stance which will change over time but having true flexibility in terms of if i want to go work from somewhere for a couple of weeks i can do that or if i want to just like you know if it's raining and I don't want to walk into work, I can like work from home for a while and then come in after or like go to the gym at lunch and do these sort of things. We generally just believe in trust. Um, and like if we think we like can trust our employees and um, that's true flexibility for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested then to kind of 
look a bit at your your time at Stripe and you know we've spoken a bit about culture and about building out a team and a fast growing company mm-hmm. um so you must have learned you know a lot of the things that have stemmed into what you're thinking now from your time at Stripe um so interested to hear about you know what you took from the culture there um and how you kind of saw it evolve from being in a, that really I think it was a, what four people in in the office and and how you saw it grow and what you've kind of taken from that yeah, so it was four people in um, the Dublin office, not four mm-hmm. people in Stripe generally. Yes, Dublin it, office, yes. If it was, I would not be having this conversation. <laughs> I'd be living in some compound in New Zealand right now or going to space. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was like my first job out of college and like I'd been a little aggressive on internships over the year. Like I worked every day of every summer from first to fourth year, which was good in some ways. And maybe I should have just gone and done a J1 or gone to Vietnam um, and chilled out a bit. Um, but... Yeah, so coming in, Stripe at the time was very much this kind of like Goldilocks size company where I'd worked at a tiny startup where it was like, you know, the co-founders and me and another intern, and I'd worked at Google, which has tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of employees. Um, and Stripe was this kind of nice mix of um, both where it was about 200, 250 people globally, and San Francisco was like sort of built up to the extent where it was about 150 people or so, but Dublin was brand new. So you got this like fun sandbox between like, you know, nine to four or nine to five PM every day where it was just Dublin where we could like figure out our own sort of stuff and then San Francisco would come online. Um and you know the larger sort of things were figured out in terms of product direction and all these kind of like organizational things, but we had to figure out like, okay, like what does an office look like? How many chairs can we fit in this room? Like if we <laughs> back to basics. Yeah, like if we get a hundred and sixty centimeter desk versus hundred and twenty centimeter desk, like what does that look like and these kinds of things? Or how do we interview for someone in Dublin and what does the uh, cultural implications of hiring globally uh, mean and can they run through the same process and these kinds of things and you know how can we set up a support infrastructure in a new um, you know uh, continent or it might seem a bit weird now but like Stripe really wasn't well known there was a you know Stripe kind of John Patrick Hawes Halo in Ireland of like oh yeah like the like the lads who do the PayPal thing or the guys who won the Young Scientist competition um, but no one had any idea what Stripe was. Like, um, again, a sort of career thesis for me has unfortunately been like uh, joining companies before people know about them, um, which is really good because I think by the time you're working somewhere that, you know, uh, the company has won a best place to work award, um, that's great. And like, not that I'm encouraging toxic workplaces, but by the time someone has the time to apply for those awards, I don't think it's a good place to work for me personally. Uh, I'd rather build somewhere that will eventually in the future be a best place to work. Um, but yeah, no one had any idea what Stripe was. I turned down joining Google to join Stripe, which like seems like a genius decision now, but like could easily not have been. And people were like, what is Stripe? I remember being at one party where someone asked what I did. I said Stripe. And they thought I said Skype. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. I use it to like call my like grandmother in wherever their grandmother was from. And it was just easier to say like, cool like yeah. Uh, yeah rather than doing the whole like line again so yeah. i feel bad that i messed up the airvolt intro but it took me a couple of years to nail my stripe one so uh, i guess i have a couple more years to figure airvolt out before that's good that's good i mean you, you have you have a way to go so you're giving yourself something to work towards yeah um so that's really interesting like you've you've clearly said it and it's something i wanted to ask you about you know whether you were drawn to working to, for a big company like mm-hmm. leaving college um, and you've, you know, kind of drawn that out between Google and, and Stripe and alluded to, you know, wanting to build something. But was there any time that you were kind of, you know, when you're in the weeds of a, of a, of a you know, 
you know, still not a, a tiny startup, but, you know, it was new in, in Dublin. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, versus Google, were there times when you thought, oh, it would just be so much easier to be in this real structured and set out program? Or was there really that kind of drive of, you know, being able to be part of building out this this company that really kept you there all the time? Just interested to know whether you had that date, that those dates. Yeah, I think I would have had them a little bit more if I knew what I wanted to do. I think part of the um, uh, appeal of, of kind of like the sort of Stripe environment was that, you know, I would come in to do my job, but also there would be everything else. Um, you know, I studied law and business in, in college and there was a world where, you know, coming into college, I thought I was going to go down the sort of like corporate um, solicitor route. Um, and in a way that would have been amazing because like that's so sad out for you. Um, and, um, you know, like it's very hard and, and, and stuff, but um, the sort of milestones are clear, right? You do your various trainings and that sort of thing and then you know, partner track or whatever and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, like in a way that would have, like I would have loved that, but it's because I hadn't found and still haven't really found the thing that I enjoy. So having a multitude of things that I can do. Um, I think I am kind of more drawn towards the sort of blank sheet of paper and kind of build something from scratch. And then um, there's this... Uh, concept and there's a book called the high growth handbook uh it's actually published by strike press um but it's always kind of like actionable tips for building a company and it is a good read um but in the book they talk about these idea of like these kind of like band-aid people where like you bring someone in to sort of build up and stand up a function and then sort of leave um that had sort of a like program or project or like function standpoint is probably what i enjoyed doing the most i have really taken to like the talent recruiting people stuff now and i've always sort of enjoyed that so it is fun like majoring in the thing that I actually enjoy doing and not just having a job and enjoying all the sort of side stuff but um yeah like if I'd found like oh this is exactly the thing I want to do that would have been great and all the pros of Google or or a big company or that you know the trainings well very well set out um the track is there for you there's a bunch of things that you can you can do if you're successful um I just enjoy a multitude of things and pulling things together so the smaller world suits me best mm. I didn't think I was going to like I feel very fortunate that I had like a stripe in my lifetime. I didn't think I was going to have like uh, a sort of equivalent opportunity again. I thought it was sort of my like flash in, in the pan. I definitely like didn't see stripe becoming as, as big as it uh, has gotten. Um, I think Evervault is like has a similar potential trajectory. Um, you know, is it going to be a hundred billion dollar company? I don't, I don't know. Like that's, uh, you know, being the most valuable startup in the world, the stripe is now is like a hard thing to get to. And that's not the only success metric, but um, I think at a similar like where Stripe was to where it's gone, I think like wherever it is to where it can, can go, I think is really exciting. And yeah, I feel really fortunate that um, sort of looked out twice. Mm. I, and neither place actually um, I applied to, they both reached out to me. So I've never really successfully applied for a job. Um, so it's always been <laughs> inbound. Um, so I don't know if I have great uh, career advice apart from keep your DMs open, I suppose. That is probably very good advice because I think increasingly opportunities come from obscure places and I know you're 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 very strong LinkedIn presence, which um we can hopefully get to in a bit. But I'm I wanna just round off that kind of stripe part of your life by understanding how you knew it was time for you to go mm-hmm. uh, and time to move on. Um probably you know, something that's really interesting to understand because I think, you know, when you talk about, yeah, being on a corporate track or any of these the, these things when you're in a job for a long time, well, it's difficult to know when the time is right to go. So mm-hmm. um, talk us through that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I joined Stripe in Dublin. There was like four or five of us and 200 globally. Um, 
after a couple of years, I was spending a lot of time going between Dublin and San Francisco, um, like multiple times a year to the point where I was like Instagram friends with the check-in staff in San Francisco airport. Um, and yeah, uh, I always love hearing sirens in the back of podcasts. Um, the, uh, and there's always like, Oh, cops are after you. Um, I, I listened to too many podcasts. This is very inside baseball, but, um, yeah, like, uh, and, and, you know, there was a sort of a decision point where the company had grown to, you know, uh, maybe like a thousand or so and a couple hundred in Dublin. And the sort of role I was doing, there weren't really any, I think, other equivalent kind of roles in Dublin that I was interested in. Um, and then the opportunity to, um, like, move permanently to the US came up. And, you know, that was super exciting because, like, you know, like um, people in the company had sort of seen what I'd done in Dublin and, like, wanted me to do the same in Seattle. And, um, came out, loved it, had never really lived anywhere else that, that, that wasn't Dublin, at least permanently before. And really just like the idea about the sort of like cultural move as well as sort of the, the career change. Um, and yeah, like moved to Seattle, it's a wonderful place, weirdly like Dublin, and had an amazing like first year there. Um, you know, like career was fine, sort of took a little bit of a back foot because I just sort of opened to exploring the city and me in a new place, those sorts of things. Um, and then, yeah, like sort of in, in, so 2019, I'm like, Seattle's the best place ever. Like, I'm never going to move back, bring my Irish passport sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, 2020, like the, the world collapsed. And uh, Seattle was one of the largest or one of the first big COVID outbreaks in, in the US. And uh, my apartment uh, was surrounded by three of the major hospitals. So, um, you know, there were helicopters coming in all the time. Uh, it was also this side of a bunch of like Black Lives Matter protests. There was a place set up like a mile from my house called like free capital hill where they'd set up this kind of like anarchist free part of the city stuff where there was people you know getting like tear gassed every night and a couple people getting shot and stuff so there's like a lot of things like going on that plus going through a like a, a breakup and then also in work i had been at stripe for like almost five years and i was just really tired <laughs> um, stressed hearing this yeah and i was like together. i was like working from home in like you know my nice but like you know like soulless apartment in Seattle and like the world was collapsing and I couldn't really go outside. Oh, also during that, um, you, there was also like forest fires, I think. So like you couldn't really go outside because like, <laughs> but the, the, you had to wear like an extra special, not just COVID mask, but like, ma like, so the world was fully ending. Um, but I, I say all that because like, you know, I was getting a little like, um, you know, dissatisfied in Stripe, like it gotten a lot bigger and the scope of things I was doing, I had sort of like, you know, the organization and teams I helped build out were now teams and organizations and like in my just general scope, I guess like I'd gotten to stuff that I was like very much like processy, which just wasn't as interested in. But the reason I say everything else is that like, you know, the decision to leave work was partly prompted by all that sort of stuff. Uh, and yeah, when I just was in the apartment by myself doing a job that I didn't particularly enjoy anymore and everything else I enjoyed was like collapsing around me. Um, and also my immigration status in the US was based on working at, at Stripe, which is like a weird dynamic. Um, the nice thing about everything being so bad at once that the idea of sort of just like pulling the plug and just being like, I'm actually going to peace out, uh, made the decision very easy. Um, and like Stripe were great and then sort of like navigating the exit and we looked at some potential other roles and stuff, but I taken a few weeks off and once I sort of like glimpsed that freedom, uh, you know, I, I mentioned at the start that I had done a bunch of internships and, um, I sort of just like, I had a very, I had an easy enough ride in, in college in terms of like contact hours and stuff, but it always like put a lot of pressure on myself. I was doing a bunch of other stuff and I hadn't really sort of like, I don't know, taken time off in a while. So, uh, yeah, when there was a little like glimpse of, of freedom, the idea of, 
um, you know, uh, leaving the US and then coming home. And that was like the time uh, in September where there was like six cases a day maybe. And I saw my friends like meeting up and having this amazing time. And I was like, oh, cool. I can do some like COVID arbitrage and get, get home. Did not, that that part of the equation didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> uh, but everything else has been really nice actually. And yeah, having the six months off to do not a whole lot of stuff. Um, I did like the podcast and like just read a bunch and chilled out. And that was very nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Like I just, I admire that a lot. I think it's really interesting how, you know, it's really not part of the path in, in Ireland to take a year out before going to college or directly out of college. There's kind of this whole, you know, on the train and don't jump off mm -hmm. uh, mentality. So, um, you know, interested to know whether you know obviously you had so much going on in the background but was that a uh you know a fear of yours that real you know should i be stepping off this this ladder or should i be ste stepping off the train yeah and um, did that play into play in your mind at all um yeah i think so like it was weird because i was getting that at the time was around kind of peak um stripe funding hysteria like covid like was very good for Stripe's business model in terms of companies going online and valuations were doubling and stuff. Um, so getting a lot of LinkedIn DMs from people being like, oh, like, how do I do what, what do you do? And um, it was weird being like, because like, I was like, oh, I'm like very unhappy in, in, what, in what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, that was a weird kind of realization, but it did make me realize that like, oh, like I have joined this company that like has become a company that those people want to work for. And it's still great in many ways and I recommend people like still apply there. I still know a lot of great people there but it's no longer the place for me um and i've spent so much of my life um seeking happiness or fulfillment through what i think society thinks that is and taking a little bit of a step off from that was like very nice um and like look i was super fortunate you know i had joined a company that like um you know was paying like a, a, a decent salary salaries in the u.s are also like like um higher than they are here so i had a little bit of like a um like a wedge and savings to kind of get me through. Um, so I didn't have sort of the same uh, pressure and I, I like very much appreciate the privilege that like it comes with being able to take a few months off and I did some some stuff to supplement that. But um, yeah, like I, I'm very pro the idea of like mini retirements. So, you know, every five or six years. Mini retirement, I like that. Yeah, I'm like, taking that. Like not not scheduling having like a breakdown every five or six years, but the, the idea <laughs> of like, I think your body and brain does sort of break down, uh, you know, with a small b, um, like in that sort of time. And we are living longer now. And the idea of just like working for forty years and then like, I don't know, existential dread for forty years after, like, doesn't really like apply anymore. So I think, yeah, like, you know, not that I could take time off and go traveling or whatever, but having you know, a few months at home, just like not really do a whole lot, uh, apart from just be like, what do I want to do? Um, it was really nice. And if people do have the capacity to do it, like, would recommend. Yeah, that's I, I think it's great advice. Um, there's so many, so many more things that I, I, I'd love to, to go through. But so maybe a part two down the line at some stage when you've been at Everwald a few months and you have even more insight on them. But um, as a kind of rounding off question, um, I love to ask everybody and I think you'll have a great answer. Um, love to get your recommendations, books and podcasts. Mm. I think you might have a few. Um yeah, uh, so when I was off on sabbatical, I wanted to read a book a week, which I did. Wow. And of, um, when you don't have anything else to do, the hours really just pass. Um, uh, and now... COVID must have helped with that. Yeah, definitely. You cannot see your friends. Um, and now I'm on a sort of a, a 
trying to do 52 books in the year, which I think I'm a little bit ahead of schedule, helped partly by not oh working God. for a few months. Um, that was not meant to be a humble brag. This was meant to be more just sort of like... Uh, this is meant to be like whatever you're going to give us is going to be a really good recommendation because you've read That so meant much. to be a preface with like, but at the same time, I struggled to like recommend books necessarily. <laughs> One that I would recommend and that I have been recommending and that I think if I could, um, you know, put this book on everyone's syllabus or send, you know, like the government sent out iodine tablets to everyone. Like if I could send this book to everyone in in Ireland uh, or the world uh, it would be a book called Attached um, it's not a business book it uh, seems very sort of self-helpy relationshipy kind of thing but it's about attachment styles um, which is primarily true in sort of uh, personal or sort of romantic relationships is where they come out but I think it plays into um, professional and every other kind of type of relationships the main thesis of the book is that people tend to have one of three attachment styles and that's how you um, attach or relate or emote to another another human um, there's sort of anxious attachment style, there's avoidant and there's secure. Um, and, and these are formed uh, I th- like primarily in sort of your formative years in your relationship with your parents. Um, and then that determines every relationship you have with everyone you meet in, in the world. Um, and reading that book was really helpful for me in terms of being like, oh, like it's not that I'm this uh, uniquely messed up, crazy person. I have these tendencies that, uh, you know, I like and how your attachment style X interacts with someone else's attachment style Y, like there are patterns that people fall into and it's incredibly powerful to, to just know that. Uh, and that's like really, was really reassuring for me. So I'd recommend that. Um, I don't know in a more of a sort of businessy sense, uh, I like Ben Horowitz's books. Um, he's one of the founders of, um, A16Z, Hard Thing About Hard Things is good. Um, High Growth Handbook is really good. Uh, if people are actually like in a startup, they can basically just like, it's like an old school encyclopedia. You can just turn to whatever problem you're facing and there's like actionable stuff there. Um, yeah, despite all my book bragging, I can't actually think of any more at that stage, but that podcast wise, um, uh, I have a podcast. Uh, it's called, uh, it's called uh, a Bridgerton podcast. You can find it at bridgertonpodcast.com. The only recommendation, the only recommendation you can give. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's primarily about Bridgerton, but there's sometimes me talking about stuff. It's myself and a friend. Uh, sometimes me and a friend talking about things that are like slightly Bridgerton related. Um, I very much just enjoy uh, Conan O'Brien's podcast. Um, Sucker for comedy, and I, I love listening to it, like. Eh. It's a bit weird that our obsession with celebrity and like this sort of stuff, but like, and it's really kind of weird listening to millionaires and view other millionaires being like, oh, they're just like us. But like, it is enjoyable and I, I enjoy the sort of backgrounds of like, uh, you know, what the making movie process is like or comedy at that level and stuff is great. Um, I was actually meant, like, I, I was meant to be on this podcast like f- three or four years ago. Uh, I don't know if Mark mentioned it to you. We recorded an episode uh, in Trinity, but we recorded it outside. Which like I didn't know this. cinematically was beautiful. We were like sitting in like the rose garden, and I think he was like videoing it as well. But like like the way it seems like every day in Ireland, it was so windy that like uh, the audio was just like totally gone. Uh, so, Mark did not tell me this. So I don't know if science can recover that episode. I would recommend that. Um, <laughs> it's probably a lot more cogent back in the day before I, uh, you know, it's in the evening and my brain's a little tired now. But like that, if the world can recover it, would be really good. Um, but. I don't know. I think like podcasts as a medium are slightly being destroyed by big corporate ones that are, are kind of crap. Um, so if you look at the top ones, uh, I would not recommend most of those, mm. apart from Conan's, but uh, I have soft spot for him. 
Great, that is that is plenty to fill up a fill up a list for people. Um, they'll begin to hear your voice a bit, hopefully, with the Bridgerton podcast. Um, but Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think there are lots and lots of uh, good takeaways for for people thinking about jobs or thinking about their career path. So yeah, um, I sort of forgot what this podcast was when we were chatting. Like, there's probably no actionable insights for uh, career stuff. Um, I, I guess would, like I would make to differ. I think. <laughs> I guess the main thing I, I do want to say for like grads or people who are in college and stuff is. Um, you talk, you uh, sort of ascertained to it earlier. You're on this sort of conveyor belt from junior infants to college to grad roles, and um, there's a couple of big juncture points there that are important. And one of them, I think, is in final year when you're like, "Oh shit, what am I going to do next year?" I think particularly for the class of 2020, 2021, and probably 2022, have had it particularly rough. Um, and yeah, just the idea that there are more things out there than what you know, gradireland.com says there is, or your your company's job sites say there are. Secondly, like if you don't get an offer like that's okay the world is not over and third is if you get an offer from a company that's a big company and then you find something else um like i'm sure you're brilliant but like google you know will be successful regardless of whether you join in their grad program or not um like i didn't join and they seem to have done all right since um so yeah like i guess just go easy on yourself if you're a student it can be quite hard Mm. um and like happy to answer any linkedin or or twitter dms um if you want to reach out Sweet. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it is discussions like these, like hearing about people who have, you know, taken different tracks or working at a startup and actually understanding what that means that hopefully um, is helpful to people who are thinking that they don't want to just take the corporate track. So thanks for, for, you know, sharing all your, your, your insights and your, your experience. It's a, I think it'd be really valuable. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Ben.